We all know what the pandemic did to web conferencing. In the first six months of 2020, the entire industry grew over 200%. Other tech that helped us work remotely, like electronic signatures, grew over 56%. And there was a near infinite increase in Slack messages. But sometimes a rise implies a fall. When one industry succeeds somewhere, is there another industry struggling? In this case, there was. Someone was on the other side of the web conferencing coin. That person was Mike Fulpe. Mike Fulpe is the CEO of Lola, a travel management company. And with the boom in working remotely, global travel collapsed, causing Lola to lose over 97% of their business and lay off a lot of their staff. So, what did Mike do? Let's find out on this week's episode of Talk Data to Me. Yeah, I'm Mike Volpe and I'm the CEO of Lola.com. Where are you right now? Uh, I am outside Boston in the suburbs up in my attic slash office. And let's see, just so we can get a sense of things, Mike, how tall are you? (laughs) Uh, I am about six foot four. When did you become the CEO of Lola? So I started at Lola in August of 2018. Lola had been founded by a guy named Paul English. He's still here. He's our CTO. He runs product and engineering. He was the co-founder of Kayak, which is probably the company that a lot of people have heard of. Uh, It's a very popular travel search engine. And Lola had started off in consumer travel. But over time, they realized that their most active customers were all business travelers. So that kind of led them down this path of moving from being a consumer travel app to being like a corporate travel app. So the company had already pivoted before you joined. Yeah. I mean, like all good startups, it's, you know, you sort of start in one area and this wasn't like a a Slack, we made a video game. Oh no, actually, sorry, we're going to make a chat app. It, it, it It was, well, you know, consumer individual travelers into kind of road warriors into corporate travel, which sort of makes some sense. Can you talk me through a little bit of what Lola was like when you came into the company? Paul and I had known each other for a number of years just because we had sort of worked in similar areas of the startup community. He wanted to bring on some more experience out of the team from someone who knew about B2B and SMB and SaaS and software and sort of all these things. And, you know, we had a good relationship. We started talking about it a little bit. And all of a sudden, I sort of started to get really excited about the opportunity to work with him and work with the team. And so we started to sell at the end of 2018. And, you know, we closed a few customers the first month we were selling, uh, a few more the next month, a few more the month after. We started building out sales and marketing. And 2019 was a year of just tremendous growth for us. It was like 10x growth because we just added to sales and marketing, continued to build off the, the base that we had gotten started with. Uh, and so it was, it was a great year. And like, we were kind of found our, had found our thing. Um, and we're just really doing well, had happy customers, really high ratings on all those customer reviews uh, between Captera and G2 and places like that. I mean, we were the highest rated corporate travel app and, you know, we were having a lot of fun and, and certainly there's challenges that you face as part of growth, but we were feeling like we were in a really good spot. So it sounds like things were growing well, everything's good. This is your first time being a CEO, right? Coming from previous jobs, you were a CMO. This is your first kind of CEO. So like, 
this first year, how are you feeling? Um, I mean, good. There's so many answers to that question, right? <laughs> um, I mean, I felt good about the business, both in terms of team building, but also in terms of the actual results and getting new customers signed up and all those things. The CEO job is sort of the, the number one imposter syndrome job for most people. You're always worried about the things that you're not doing because you can never possibly do it all or do enough. You're always worried about the team because it's, it's impossible for 100% of the team to love you and think you're the most amazing CEO they've ever worked for. Were you shooting for that? No, but <laughs> I mean, not 100 I mean, but I think I am the type of person that likes to be relatively collaborative and likes to lead from sort of more of a collaborative standpoint as opposed to a command standpoint. And you hope that you earn the buy-in of a lot of your team, right? And, uh, and I think that that's something that's important. I think most leaders want to be the type of leader that's earned that leadership role as opposed to demanded it. But I, I guess I would just say, like, as a CEO, there's always something where you can doubt yourself because nothing is ever 100% perfect. And so you can look on the whole and, be, and say, oh, wow, we did great. And, you know, we didn't really have any uh, revenue or major customer traction before, but we got that figured out. And look at all these customers, look at all this revenue, look at the team, look at all these things. But then there's always, you know, some efficiency metric where you feel like you're behind or some growth metric where you feel like you're behind. There's always some piece of something, you know, that you feel like you have to work through. There's always something where even when something's going really well, there's something else that you're just worried about. It's just, it's the kind of job where I feel like you're just constantly worried about at least one thing. If it's only one thing you're worried about, that actually means like business is actually pretty good, right? And it's when you're three, four, five things that you're worried about, that's when they're the real challenges are. Give me a quick example of what was one thing you were worried about at the middle of 2019. I was worried a lot about just efficiency metrics. We were growing all of the metrics are sort of moving in the right direction. But we're in an industry where um, part of our business is software. We have an annual subscription fee. We also make a little bit of money every time someone books travel through us. But as part of that travel booking, we're also taking on the service burden. So if you buy a flight through us, we make like $3 or $4. But we're taking on the customer service burden of if you want to change that flight or uh, you miss your flight, you need to reschedule it, whatever it is, we're taking that on. And there's a cost there because it's very, it's relatively human-centric. There's a lot of things that we do to make it far better and easier. So almost all of our services by chat. Um, we have some really amazing agents. We've built a lot of great automation tools for them. But this is the thing that traditionally, like an old-school travel agency would cost charge you 30 or 50 bucks for that. We, we weren't doing that because a lot of our customers don't like to be nickel-dived to death. I mean, who does? And so we had kind of come up with this new pricing model, but I was worried about sort of just overall efficiency metrics. Like there's two types of worries to see. Oh, there's something where you're worried about it and you're like, I have no idea how we're going to overcome this. And this is like, we need to figure out a way around this problem. Or there's things where you say, oh, well, that's how that looks today. But I feel really confident that if we do these four or five things that we could overcome this. And that's how I felt about all the efficiency metrics. It's like, you're here, we've been growing for a year to 18 months, and we learned a ton. We had a good picture of what the LTV looked like, good picture of what the customer acquisition costs looked like, what goes into gross margin, what those costs look like. And we had plans around a lot of those things to improve all those metrics, and we were making progress on them. So by the end of 2019, I felt good where the plan for 2020 was giving us a bunch more growth, but also a lot of progress on many of those efficiency metrics 
So we felt like by the end of 2020, we'd be in like a really good spot as a business. So, okay. So you get, you're in 2019, December, you're taking your break and you're maybe overcoming a little bit of imposter syndrome in the CEO role. No major concerns. I was feeling good. I was like, wow. It's like they, you know, I, I got brought in here to do a job and like, we're doing that job and like, we're making progress. <laughs> yeah. Great. So now January, um, something happens and travel restrictions to China occur. Can you tell me a little bit about where you were when you heard that news? I'll say that in January, we were not that worried. And the reason was at that time, it wasn't clear that this was going to be a global pandemic, right? It was like, this might be epidemic. We do have people that travel around the world, but all of our companies are typically headquartered in North America because we're, you know, we're small. Um, we, we didn't feel like we're like, okay, if this is contained to China or Asia or China and a few other countries, this is not going to have a major effect on us. And it'll be something interesting from a global perspective that some of the global partners that we work with within the travel industry might have to deal with, but not the kind of thing that's going to be a big thing for our business. So it's sort of like a, oh, this is interesting. I read the New York Times and it's an interesting story to follow. But in January, it didn't feel like it was going to be this giant global thing. Were you calling people in? You know what I mean? Like, were you having meetings where everybody's like in there and they're like, what do we know about this pandemic? Let's do tabletop exercises. Or was this just you like reading the news and being like, hey, what do you guys think of this? It was, it was more the second, to be honest, in January, more the second. Um, it shifted to that very quickly over time. But it really, um, in January, it was more just, uh, you know, a couple Slack messages at the executive team level, you know, watch the news, sort of see what's going on. So, okay. So it sounds like basically nothing changes your plans in January. You're not rewriting anything. You're not thinking like, oh, this is going to be a major headache or anything like that. It's hard because you don't, I mean... We had a growth plan for 2020. We finished January ahead of plan. We finished February ahead of plan. And so while there's this thing out there that you're paying attention to that certainly introduces increased risk into your business, in some ways as a startup, the worst thing you can do is, is um, do too much scenario planning and put your ability to hit the 2020 plan at risk for this thing that might or might not happen. I mean, startups have all sorts of risk associated with them um, to try to, you know, distract too much of the executive team's time when you have a small company, everyone's super busy, you know, dealing with this thing. It, it's sort of like, it's a little bit more you pay attention to it, but then you expect to rapidly adapt to it when you get there. I think I was in many ways relying on the ability for us because we were small, because we were nimble, because we had a great executive team that if something popped up that we would be able to make the right changes within a couple of days or a couple of weeks. And it wouldn't take us, you know, 90 days of prep to talk about things and all this stuff. So I think some of that is like more of a small company perspective, maybe. Okay. So you you feel like watching it, if something happens, then we have an adaptable team that has handled pivots and things like that before. We'll work through it. That's right. That's right. And then, and then March hits. And then March. March 16th, that's when we end up with the 15-day guidelines to slow the spread down. That's right. Leading up, but leading, leading up to that, so it was interesting. So I said January, February, great. March, the first couple of days into March, you started to see like a little impact, like just 
each day, you know, if I expected X, it was like 0.9X or 0.95X or 0.88X. What is X and, in this situation? Uh, the, so the amount of travel being booked uh, through Lola by our customers. Uh, okay. so that was the, that was the first place. That was the first place that we really saw an effect. So number of flights, number of hotels, uh, all that, that that our customers are booking, and it just you know because I get those numbers every single day, and um, you have kind of an expectation on your growth path of like where you think you'll end up for the month, and they were just like a little light and like a little light and a little light, and it's like each day into March is just like a little bit light. And then it's like, they're a little light. They're like, oh, maybe it's even more like that little bit. It's maybe it's a little, you know, a little bit more. And it was sort of like a 10% impact uh, each day for the first few days of March. And I remember, because we had a board meeting on like March 12th, I sent out slides to them on March 5th. And in the slides, it's sort of like, hey, we're seeing a little impact. Like, don't know how long this is going to last. Um, you know, all things that sound crazy now, right? Was there like a day or a moment where you were like, went from, hmm, I'm watching this to like, oh, we need to do something? I mean, I remember at one point, if you looked at net bookings, so the number of trips that we booked minus the ones that were canceled, it actually went negative because we're getting more cancellations than we were new bookings, right? Because the new bookings fell and then the cancellation spiked because it's like always, you know, it's, it's either growing or growing a little bit or growing a lot. And like the idea that that number could be negative, like never even occurred to me uh, until it like, was negative. We're like, wait, like, how's that? And you're like, oh, because yeah, we only had a small number of trips booked and like everyone just canceled. Let's just pause here for a second. What does he mean he can't imagine a number going negative? This might be in the category of like things you really need to worry about. Mike is saying Lola is not only not booking new trips, AKA no new money is coming in. They're also seeing a huge spike in trips being canceled, AKA less money than he expected to get. Oh, okay. So this is like really bad. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of those, like, you really need to worry about it situations. Like, he's like, Mike is screwed, basically. Well, Mike might not be screwed, but remember those efficiency metrics he mentioned about last year? You know, how he added that extra little bit of service for customers who canceled flights or might need to rebook? So if you buy a flight through us, we make, like, $3 or $4, but we're taking on the customer service burden of if you want to change that flight or uh, you miss your flight, you need to reschedule or whatever it is. But this is the thing that traditionally like an old school travel agency would cost, charge you 30 or 50 bucks for that. Yeah, that part, that makes this next bit a lot worse. Most of our travel is booked one to three weeks out. So it's short term business travel. And so all the trips that everybody had for the next 30 days, everyone's like cancel, cancel, cancel. And um, again, we provide value far beyond the actual like travel bookings, but that's kind of the canary in the coal mine. So, you know, I started to get really worried of, oh, okay, well, if no one's going to be traveling, why are new customers going to sign up? You know, they're probably not. So they're going to, you know, any new customer signups, new annual subscriptions, that's going to get pushed out. You know, we're, it just, it just, it started to become really clear that this was going to be a major, major effect. And I think from there, I think some people were thinking it was might be two to three months. 
I think we had the perspective that it was going to be a lot like once it got that bad, it was going to be like a lot longer. And, you know, whether that would be because of global economic recession or um, inability to deal with a virus in a timely manner or, you know, er everything that's happened, we just we sort of went from, you know, January "Mm, doesn't seem like it's going to be a big effect to us, but we'll see if it does to, oh, this isn't going to be two or three. We went from like not much effect to nine to 12 months, like long term. This is a big problem. We need to make some major, major changes like pretty quickly. How does the mood start to change around this time period, like in the office or I guess on the Zooms maybe? I think the mood became, I'd say a couple things. It's And this is what a lot of we faced throughout the course of the whole year, every company's faced, a combination of people having a lot more personal sort of things to deal with, whether it was, you know, um, uh, family members or, you know, I mean, we had a board member who had a daughter who was studying in Europe at the time. And, you know, he, he basically called me at one point. He's like, I know I'm supposed to talk to you this afternoon. He's like, I just, I can't, I got to figure out how to get my daughter back to the U S from, you know, Europe. And I'm like, that's like, yes, you should do that (laughs) because she might, she might be stuck over there. That would, that would suck, you know? So, um, there were just lots of like personal things that people had to deal with at the same time where, I think everyone in the company was saying like, wow, the future is really uncertain for Lola and work and all those things. So just the amount of uncertainty that everyone had to deal with really, really spiked. And that's, that's a difficult thing to deal with. So it was like March 10th or something. We told the whole, we had told the team, I think early March, like if you're uncomfortable or whatever, like you want to work from home, it's cool, like whatever you want to do. And then I think March 10th, we basically closed the office. I remember for the board meeting on the 12th, Paul English and I were in the office, but uh, we were the only ones there. And like the IT guy was like packing some stuff up or something. And, uh, and so it was basically like a, like a ghost town at that point. So, okay. So I'm picturing... CEO Mike is out there like all grit, no quit. And then you show up in this empty office uh, that's barren with just you and and the founder. And I'm kind of wondering like, did you ever think like, why did I take this job? Like for you personally, is there, was there ever a moment of just being like, oh, come on. Like the one, the time I move into the CEO job and then I get hit with like, the most crazy thing. Was there any sort of regrets or were you kind of going insane looking at back at that decision at all? I mean, I try not to live my life looking in the rearview mirror because all you can do is with the information in front of you at that time is make the best decisions you can and like go for it. Um, and I think, again, this, this is the kind of thing that somebody predicted. So it's, it's not like the advice to yourself can be, oh, well, whatever new industry you go into, make sure there's not going to be a global calamity that affects that industry because that, I mean, that advice is useless, right? But, you know, we spent more time talking about it and really we had a great travel product. We had a bunch of customers. We knew a lot about that industry. We knew what customers wanted. We had a bunch of experience selling into finance departments. And so really when you looked at like the assets that we had, the advantage that we had as a company, uh, it wouldn't have been smart to pivot so hard that you're not taking advantage of those things, right? Um, 
And it wasn't like we hadn't found product, like we had product market fit. We had a highly rated product. Like we had all these things, you know, it's not like people are never going to travel again. I think the travel habits may change a little bit, but um, we are sort of in a situation where what we're doing is going to work again. We just need to figure out how to get from point A to point B, how to get this bridge over this big chasm, which is going to be the global pandemic. And how do we get to the other side? So just really short, just so I make sure I have it, describe your new product. Yeah, so we um, so we have a new product called Lola Spend. We still have Lola Travel, which is a corporate travel platform. Lola Spend allows you to give everyone in your company a corporate card, but gives the finance team control and visibility on how much people can spend and what they can spend it on. So basically, it's a um, spend management product that has budgets built into it. So you can kind of give the marketing team fifty grand, and they can go and run and spend all that money. It eliminates expense reports. Finance can see all the transactions in real time. Um, and, you know, it prevents the marketing team from going to spend a $2,000 bar tab in Vegas, but it gives them the ability to spend a $5,000 on Facebook ads. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe limits the fun, but it's kind of a, um, it's sort of a new age tech-enabled corporate card that has budget management built into it. And is that a larger market than Lola Travel was? It's certainly potentially more companies. Like if at any size of company, if 30 to 40% of them travel frequently enough that they want to have a corporate travel platform, um, 100% of companies spend money and want to be wary of how they spend and budget and manage that, that spend. So um, we certainly can talk to a lot more customers. I think it's unclear. The LTV calculation, I think will be interesting to see how that goes over time because some of those customers um, may not spend enough to be worth a lot. Right. And but the ones traveling frequently are worth a lot. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, but it's definitely larger in terms of number of companies. Is there a moment that where you came up with this idea or really kind of confirmed that this was the direction you wanted to go into? So we had already done a bunch of research. It was it was sort of on the roadmap for like late 2020 or maybe 2021. Like it wasn't really scheduled yet. But we had done research, we had done some technical research, we had done a lot of like front end UI backup kind of stuff, which we tend to do very early. Um, and we had sort of circulated some of those designs internally, got a little feedback on them. And so we, um, we had an idea about what we we're going to do. And so it was more about reprioritization than it was about thinking like, oh, well, like, what should we do? It's also, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it's in March where you made the decision to lay off some of your uh, staff. So leading up to that board meeting, we ran all the models, understood how much cash we have in the bank, understood what we thought the impact of this would be. Based on that, we said, well, we, we need to cut way back. The prioritization now becomes what's the innovation engine in the company that we, where we could invent something new that would help us. And that's mostly product and engineering. So we kept that team largely in place. And then cut as much as we could in all the other places, which um, was real tough, to, real tough to go through. It was hard for the entire team, for everybody to go through. Uh, and it was really, really multidimensional. Like it wasn't just, I think companies sometimes go through struggles, but they go through them at a time when it's not, people aren't dealing with all this stuff in their personal life and all this stuff in the world in general at the same time. I think the unique set of challenges that a lot of companies would have gone through in 2020 was that you know, employees, um, you know, er, you, you instantly go remote, which would be really hard for any company to do. You have a global pandemic, you potentially have sick employees or employees with sick family members. 
Um, you've got your industry in upheaval, you've got layoffs, you've got all these things hitting you at like exactly the same time. Um, it was, I mean, it's extremely hard to go through, extremely hard for the team to go through. Was it, was it tough for you personally to go through it? Yeah, I, I'm, um, I'm a big, like, just keep, it's like the, the quote from Dory in Finding Nemo, it's like, just keep swimming. It, I, I, I don't want to say that that's my mantra because it's probably a little too uh, cartoonish, but um, there's nothing many, wrong with that. No, there's I know like- <laughs> it's it's, but it's it's true. It's like it's both cheesy, but it's also true, right? It's it's um, you just need to keep moving forward, and I think a lot of that is my perspective. So, yeah, it was it was extremely extremely tough, and so we um, we made all those cuts, and then decided to basically focus more on innovation and say started to look at like what else can we do if we're going to assume we're not going to be able to sell much of anything and travel for nine or 12 months, what else can we do? Like what's something else that we can sell because you could um, stick your head in the sand and say, I'm just going to wait until travel comes back. People are going to travel again someday. I'm just going to wait. But if you're a, you know, if you're a small company that's, you know, waiting around, you're just going to get trampled. Like you're just asking, you're just delaying the inevitable. And so you have to take it as an opportunity and say like, well, okay, like what are we going to do now? And it seems like the pivot went pretty successfully. Bang, bang, bang. Like, let's go. Yeah. All of it. Like you just got to go. And so at the time that we were, that we did the layoffs, we explained to the team what the new plan was. I mean, we launched a product in private beta in five months, which is a financial product that, you know, moves money around. I mean, we're pulling money out of people's, Companies' bank accounts where we're issuing Lola card. You get a Lola credit card, a Lola corporate card now. Um, yeah, to to do that in five months, I think is great. And then you know we got live with a bunch of beta customers, uh, and then we just publicly launched it. So in a pretty short time period. So I feel I feel really good about what we've accomplished so far. And what is it about your team that you think made them so able to adapt? I talk a lot about, um, so first of all, I think having adaptability in our case, you know, all great, no quit as a core value and something that you talk about on a regular basis is important. So you're not the first time you're talking to your team about adaptability isn't when you need them to be adaptable. Like you're just constantly talking to them about it. Um, I've had guest speakers come into company meetings, even when our business was good about how their company had struggled at certain points or how they need to be adaptable or how things needed to change in order for them to be successful. And so just constantly trying to build that as a core value, even when times are good, I think is important. I think the second thing is that you need to constantly be building your credibility with your team, sort of making deposits into your kind of trust account with them so that when things are tough, you've built up a level of trust that they believe in you such that even if they don't totally believe the new thing you're talking about, even if they're like, well, the new product sounds okay, but I don't know. But they, they've built up enough trust with you when times were good because you did the right things, you're open with them, you're transparent with them, that when you really need it, you can kind of call back that capital that you built up with them and say, hey, like, I, I know you only 60% believe me right now, but I need 100% of your commitment. Is there anybody you went to for advice? A bunch of people, but I'd say there's two in particular. So... One is a CEO of a business that I've been an investor in for a long time who has been through a lot of ups and downs. 
like almost went out of business, $5,000 of cash in the bank. And, you know, am I going to be able to hit payroll next week? Kind of almost out of business now doing 10 million in revenue and, and almost profitable. Um, and I, I talked to him. Um, and then the second one uh, is someone who I, I can even say who it is because she's on our board, a woman named Gail Goodman, who was CEO of Constant Contact for a real long time. Uh, she's now at a company called Pepper Lane and she's been on a bunch of boards. She, I just feel like has seen so much more than me at this point where I use her a lot for advice. And, um, you know, she kind of, she gave me a good pep talk and she's like, no, like you're going to fight through this. Like you got a plan, like go do it. You got this. And the the second thing she told me was, and this kind of goes back to one of your earlier questions. Um, and she said, well, she's like, you're, you're a real CEO now. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, it's like your first CEO job. And like, you know, when things are good, like it's fine. And like, yeah, you had a lot to do with it being good and like, whatever. She's like, but you know, CEO of a travel company during a global pandemic where travel is completely shut down. She's like, she's like, now you're learning how to be a real CEO, <laughs> which I thought was funny. And at the time she told me this is like in March or April, I was like, okay, uh, but now, but now like I get it. And I'm sort of like, you know, you can actually now at this point throw literally anything at me and I'm not going to say it's going to be fun. I'm not going to say it's going to like, whatever we do will be successful, but like I can deal with it now. Cause it's like, this, what else are you going to throw at me? Like, shut down my whole industry. Oh, like we've been there. Like, you know, it's just like, you know, global pandemic with other, you know, election issues, racial justice issues or whatever that, you know, make it really stressful and difficult for your entire employee base. Yep. Been there, done that, you know, on the drop of a hat, take your entire company and make them go remote. Yeah. We've done that. Um, Oh, how about this? Here's a good one. How about signing a new, a lease for a brand new office? That's like three times bigger than your existing office and spending a million dollars to renovate that new office and moving in just to be told six months later that you're not allowed to use that office anymore. Like, yep, been there, done that. So it's like, I don't, I don't know what else you could throw at me. And I, I'm sort of daring the world to throw something new at me, which is not, not what I want right yeah. now. But like, you know, it's, um, once you've been through stuff like that, you just, you know, it's just about, the life is about how you deal with things, not what things you happen to come across. It's just like, Dealing with adversity is just part of life. You just got to figure it out. <laughs> so, uh, so I guess just to sort of tail this into the final, final kind of question. Um, what was the single most important thing that you learned from this experience? It's really important to have something that you can look forward to and be excited about and use that as like a source of excitement and energy for the company. So it's um, it's about quickly finding sort of something new and just really something that you can get excited about so you can share that excitement with the team. thing that I like about Mike in this interview is like he's just does not pay attention to so much of the stuff around him like he sees it and then is like puts a little note on it like 
like, I definitely should keep track of this, but I'm not going to do anything with the information until all of a sudden he needs to act. And then he just goes like relentlessly forward without looking back. And I think that part is pretty interesting. I feel like he's just exceptionally good at compartmentalization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Mike seems like the kind of person who like, he's a hundred percent with you. Like this is actually something he's one of those people. I've, I haven't met him that many times, but he's one of those people that like, he's talking a hundred percent to you. You know what I mean? Like, me, like I'm relatively flighty and like my eyes will go all over the place. And like, I, sometimes it looks like I'm thinking about something else, but like when Mike is talking to somebody, it feels very much like he's a hundred percent engaged. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's like a, a quality about being extremely present. And it seems like that shows up in the way that he handles business too, because his whole thing is like, if you let the like emotional like stress of what's happening uh, seep into and get in the way of the action plan that you're going to take, then that's when things will start to fall apart. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Data to Me. If you'd like to hear more, make sure to subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're feeling extra nice today, you can leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. This episode was produced by me, Sam Balter, with help from Steph Tonneson and Caster Productions. Special thanks, of course, to Mike. Without you, this episode would not have been possible. Thanks again, and see you next time on Talk Data to Me.